Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Several years ago, Cindy and I had the opportunity to see a Broadway production of the story of Aladdin. Are you familiar with, with that? If you're not, it's a fictional story uh, about a young peasant boy who happened upon uh, a magic lamp and he rubbed the lamp and the genie pops out and what did he offer to Aladdin? Yeah, three wishes. Anything you ask for. And in, in the production of that fictional story, one of the things was a flying carpet, and somehow uh, they had the actor that was playing Aladdin flying across on wires, I'm sure, uh, across the, the uh, I started to say congregation, the audience uh, out there. It was really very impressive, but that's, that's just a fictional story. Uh, there are no magic lamps. There are no genies that are going to pop out and grant us three wishes. But there was a time where for one man, having one wish promised from God was not fiction. Anybody know who that was? Solomon. You always have the right answers. You've been reading my sermon notes? I, I, I love that. Uh, Second Chronicles uh, records the story. Second Chronicles 1 uh, and Solomon and the, the people have been worshiping. I'm going to pick up the text with verse 6. There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Would that be amazing to hear from God? What, what do you want? Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for great wealth. He could have asked to become the most powerful man in the world. And actually, he received both of those things. But what he asked God for was something far more valuable. And God gave it to him and so much more. Verse 8. Solomon replied to God, You showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O oh Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And here's what he asked for. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Solomon could have asked for anything, but he asked for godly wisdom to fulfill the calling that he had received from God that had been passed down to him from his father, King David. Verse 11. God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people properly, 
I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. Then Solomon returned from the tabernacle at the place of worship in Gibeon, and he reigned over Israel. That's an amazing story, isn't it? But about a thousand years after Solomon asked God for wisdom and it was given to him, another descendant of King David, a man named James, an apostle, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, talked about the wisdom of God. And we've seen these verses already in our study, but let me read them again. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. James said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Wisdom. But what does that wisdom, godly wisdom, look like? How, how do we tell the difference between what is godly wisdom and what the world, the culture, calls wisdom? Well, James is going to answer that in our text today, which will be chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We're about halfway through our 16-week journey through the book of James. And today we come to the third chapter, and we'll begin with the 13th verse. And in today's passage, James helps us to understand the differences between these two extremes, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And he will tell us how we can stay away from, how we can avoid the way of the world. So let's look at our text, James chapter 3, verse 3. As always, I'm teaching from the New Living Translation. James 3, 13. <clears throat> James said, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, I like the translation here. If you understand God's ways, if you have godly wisdom, prove it. Uh, we have said from the beginning of our study in James that James is like a spiritual GPS. It's like a road map on, on the path to spiritual maturity. And he just puts layer upon layer of godly biblical truth about what it means to live for Christ. So this godly wisdom, what would it look like in your life and my life? What would it, what it, would, would it look like if we lived with godly wisdom? He says, prove it by living an honorable life. The J.B. Phillips translation, which was really the first of the modern English translation translated by a man named J.B. Phillips back in the 50s, puts it this way. Let your life be a shining example. I like that. 
Let your life be a shining example, doing good works with humility. Uh, James says this involves both your actions and your attitude. Humility, uh, literally translated from the Greek, means gentleness of spirit. Gentleness of spirit. And, and the word gentleness, which of course is a fruit of the Spirit, and when we see it listed in that list of the fruit of the Spirit, that word uh, conjures up in the, the mind of uh, the Jewish listener an image of a powerful horse that is brought under control. Now, it does not mean weakness, but it means instead great power that is put voluntarily under the control of in submission to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, humility. When ego is more prominent than the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, that is not godly wisdom. When, when it is a, an individual's ego that drives him or her more than it is the control and filling of the Holy Spirit that is the opposite of godly wisdom. Jesus had clear words about this, so keep your finger or at least your mind in, in James 3 and go with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Hear the words of Jesus. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can I just tell you there's a lot of self-exaltation going on in our culture today. Self-exaltation, where people are putting themselves out there. They're putting them, themselves first. And it's even true in the family of God. And even if it's covered over by a, a, a false veneer of religiosity or pseudo-spirituality, that's not the kind of life, that's not the kind of wisdom that God desires for those who would aspire to be spiritually mature. And so James teaches us that. Go back to James 3, pick it up with verse 14. <clears throat> but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Now, it's, it's interesting to dig a little meaning out of these words here. What is uh, translated here, bitterly jealous, talks about someone who harbors bad feelings toward another person. Uh, as Christ followers, we are taught to forgive, are we not? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We commonly call that the, the Lord's Prayer. And yet the reality is there are people in the body of Christ who have a lot of unforgiveness in their heart. Sometimes people will carry things for years and they just won't let go, somehow thinking that it's punishing the person toward whom they're holding that unforgiveness when in reality it's only hurting them. 
bitterly jealous rather than grace and forgiveness and mercy. There's bitterness. Or, or one who is envious of others' successes. James calls it here selfish ambition. Someone who has the drive to be in charge of something that they have not been given the authority to have dominion over. Do you know people like that who want to be in charge of everything? You can nod even if you don't. It makes me feel better. People who, who want to be in charge, they want to be in control. They want to have the last word. They want to be the biggest personality in the room. And they have a, a drive to exalt themselves rather than depending on God to move forward or move upward as he desires, not because we pushed it on our own. Verse 15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I almost shudder a little bit to read that last word. Those, those jealousy and selfishness, self-exaltation, the one who, who wants to, to be in charge and, and over come and overrule those around them. That's not godly wisdom. That comes from a very different source. And as James is writing to Jewish Christ followers, you would think, well, Christ followers are not like that, are they? And the reality is that we as Christ followers are not immune to those kinds of ungodly inner drives. In fact, you'll find that in churches. You'll find that among missionaries. You'll find that uh, people involved in Christian education. And you'll certainly find it in the, the marketplace, in businesses, or in the field of medicine, or in education, or government or the oil and gas industry, what, whatever you might be involved in, you can find those kinds of ungodly, worldly attitudes. And what is, the, what is the, the outcome when that kind of thing is at work? Verse 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind, and evil of every kind. These are not the attitudes. These are not the things that a Christ follower should aspire to. That's the way of the world. That's the quote-unquote wisdom of the world. And it brings about devastating results. And in the kind of environment where those things are common, when they're at work, there's drama have you ever been in a, a workplace or a, a, an environment of some kind where there was just continual drama? Something going on, somebody mad at somebody, somebody talking about somebody, infighting, slanderous talk and gossip, chaos ruling in, in almost every workplace or school campus or office setting. 
and sadly far too many churches. And James is saying that is the way of the world. James tells us there's something better. There's something healthier. There's something more beautiful for Christ followers that is the will of God. There is something that if we will live this way in godly wisdom, we will show an unbelieving culture what the ways of God really look like. Back in verse 13, James referred to a Christ follower who is living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. That's kind of how he started off. But now as he gets down to verse 17 and 18, he further describes what that wisdom looks like and how it operates in the life of a Christ follower. So let's dig into his description of this kind of godly wisdom. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Wow, that, that verse is just packed with spiritual truth. He, he, he starts off, the wisdom uh, from God is first of all, and he doesn't mean here this is the first in a list of equals. He, he means first in importance. So w- what is it that is first in importance in God's wisdom? It's pure. It's pure. It comes from motives that are pure. It comes from a heart that is pure, and it results in actions that are pure. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Matthew 5, verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Or in the older translations, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. James is saying here that the fruit, the the behavioral fruit of godly wisdom can only flow out of a pure heart. It can only flow out of a heart that is deeply in love with Jesus. It can only flow out of a heart that wants more than anything else to honor God in their life more than advancing in the world, more than acquiring worldly goods, more than being well thought of, or more than having power and influence and control, more than anything else, a pure heart wants to please the Lord and master of that individual. A pure heart. If that is not in place, all the stuff we do, It just works unless it comes from a heart that has been transformed and is continually being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And then James goes on to say this godly wisdom is also peace-loving. 
peace-loving. It's in complete contrast to what he described in the earlier verses as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Isn't that the way of the world, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? But godly wisdom is to be the opposite of that, peace-loving, peace-loving. Godly wisdom produces peaceful relationships. The Apostle Paul said, no matter who I'm with, I try to find common ground. I try to find something with which we can connect, even people who are very different than me. And I'm afraid a temptation that we as Christ followers fall into is we just, we just want to make peace with our own tribe. We just want to make peace with those who think like us and act like us and talk like us and believe like us. When in reality, we are called, the scripture says, as much as it depends on you, we are called to live at peace with all people. It doesn't mean we don't have convictions. It doesn't mean that we don't stand for what's right and biblical. But it means we're not like the world. You know what the world is? The world is always looking for a fight. The world is always looking for a, a, a way to just duke it out. Our natural tendency in our sinful nature is to be argumentative. It's to be quarrelsome. It's to be cynical. It's to be belligerent. It's to be quick-tempered. And if somebody acts like they want to fight, we just are ready, come on, bring it on. That's our sinful nature. That's not our redeemed nature. That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom helps us to know and do the things that as much as it is possible keeps from alienating people. We, we sometimes think that because we know the truth and we believe the truth, it gives us the right to push others away in condemnation and judgment. But godly wisdom lowers the temperature when things are getting heated up. Whether it's a, a neighborhood association meeting or a school board meeting or a deacon's meeting, ours are peaceful here by the way. Godly wisdom makes friends, not enemies. You've heard me say before, I believe that we are living in the most polarized generation of our lifetime. Don't you, don't you agree with that? The most polarized generation. And, and, the, and the pandemic just made it 10 times worse. I mean, we found things to be mad about. We found things to, to fight over. We found things to, to, to be just kind of on edge if somebody didn't agree with us. That's not godly wisdom. It says godly wisdom is gentle at all times. Gentle at all times. Worldly wisdom says, hey, nobody has the right to tell me what to do. And if you try, we're going to get it on right here. Angry, contentious, and bitter. That's worldly wisdom. Look at what Jesus said. This, this ought to just convict, convict us deeply. Matthew chapter 5. 
I'm going to start with verse 39. We'll have the verses on the screen. Matthew 5, 39. Jesus is speaking. <clears throat> he said, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Okay, did everybody hear that? Do not resist an evil person. Don't make an enemy out of someone, even if they're an evil person, if you have a choice in that. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. There's not much of that going around these days. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, which was the law in the Roman Empire, by the way, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, and guess what the citizens would do at the end of the mile? They'd drop the gear because they had gone as far as the law required. But Jesus said, carry it two miles. That's where we get the go the second mile expression. Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That's godly wisdom. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And then verse 46 is convicting. If, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. When I've read that verse before, I, I, I say, even the mob does that. Verse 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans, people who don't know and don't care about Jesus, do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect perfect. He, that's the word that we keep encountering in the book of James. It's teleos in the Greek. And in this context, it doesn't mean perfect without fault. It means fully complete, fully mature, fully grown up. And what Jesus is saying and what James is saying to us as Christ followers is grow up. Be mature. Don't get stuck down here in spiritual adolescence. Grow up. Let your life as a Christ follower be filled with the light of godly wisdom. It's peace-loving and gentle at all times so that we don't fall into the trap of acting like everybody else in the culture that lives by worldly wisdom. We're called to be different. We're called to be, with God's help and power, better. And as the world, as the culture, as our nation becomes more and more polarized and more and more angry and more and more contentious, we then, as Christ followers, have the opportunity to shine the light of godly wisdom into that dark culture. Are you with me? 
I, I, I hear us complain all the time about how bad it's getting and how dark it's getting, and that's all true. But the Scripture said it would. But the darker the darkness becomes, the brighter the light can shine. If we'll be the light, if we'll live with godly wisdom, if we won't act like everybody else in the culture who's looking for a fight, if we'll be a peacemaker, back to James 3, pick it up with verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I want you to see if you agree with this next statement, okay? Our world needs peacemakers more than ever before. I didn't get any amens. Thank you, darling. I'm not sure how I'd keep preaching if you weren't amen. Our world needs peacemakers more than ever before. And if Christ followers are not those people, who will be? If it's not us, if we're not the peacemakers that the Scripture commands us to be, who do we think's going to do that? The ACLU? Who, who do we think the peacemakers would be? Listen, you and I cannot bring peace between Russia and Ukraine. I wish we could, but we can't. But we can deal with the relationships that God puts in our lives. We can deal with our circles of contact and influence. We can do what God helps us to do and commands us to do to bring peace where there could be contention. We can be those people who don't start a fight, but try to keep peace instead of fighting. We're called to be peacemakers. We're to live with godly wisdom. So like last week, I want to end by asking you some questions, okay? It's just between me and you and God, and you don't have, even have to answer to me. This is just really between you and God. Three questions, all right? Honesty time. Here's the first. In what relationship in your life have you failed to do what you can to seek peace? I know you can't control the other person, and they may be a jerk with a capital J, but in what relationships in your life have you failed to do what you can do? You're not responsible for what they will do or won't do, but you are responsible for what you will or won't do. And so in what relationships in your life have you failed to do what God would have you do to try to bring peace, whether it's successful or not? You have done what God led you and taught you to do to seek to bring peace. In other words, are you going to be a hearer of the word and doer of the word or just a hearer today, but not a doer? Here's the second question. <clears throat> okay, honesty time. And you're going to answer to God, and he knows. Okay, here we go. If God would grant you any one thing you asked for, 
would you ask to win the lottery or for godly wisdom? Okay, I know what the Sunday school answer is, all right? But let's just pretend you're going to answer and nobody's going to know and it's just just between you and God and it's 50 million in the lottery or godly wisdom. Which one are you asking for? What's your answer? Don't say that, but what's your answer? But even more important than that, what does your answer reveal about the state of your heart before God? One last question. If the people who know you were asked to name someone who exhibits gentleness, humility, and peace, would they name you first? If the people who know you were asked, hey, hey, Joe, of, of all the people that you know, who would you say most exhibits gentleness and humility and peace? Would your name come to their mind? Or would they not even think about it? You wouldn't even make the top 10. Lord, help us understand what godly wisdom is and how important it is that we live by godly wisdom in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, never has there been a time in human history when godly wisdom was needed as much as it is now. Never has there been a time where there's been so much contention. And I don't just mean on the world stage, Russia and Ukraine, there have always been wars, it seems. But I'm just talking about on a personal level, where people are at odds with each other. When, when people have retreated into to their corner and kept people who are unlike them out, Never has there been a time when there has been less of a connection between the people of God and the people who are far from God, the very people who need Jesus the most. Never has there been a time when God's people seem more concerned about winning political power than winning people to faith in Jesus. Lord, would you revive us and help us to know that the gospel is what matters and that for people to want the gospel, to even be remotely interested in the gospel, they've got to see lives of Christ followers that are patterned after godly wisdom that flows from pure hearts that love Jesus and want to be like him and will see those who are far from him through his eyes, not as enemies, but as those for whom he died. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to be Christ followers who care deeply about the things you care about and that the weapon of the spiritual warfare is love.
the love of Jesus made known as we live out lives with godly wisdom. Father, we come to this time in the service in which we invite people to pray. I, I don't know what's on the heart or in the lives of these, your people today, both the ones in the room, the ones that are watching online, someone who's listening to the podcast later on. Lord, I, I don't know what, what's going on, but you do and you care. And so I pray that if it would be meaningful for them to come to the, the altar or to the, the prayer partner couple in the balcony and pray with someone. Lord, I, I pray that, that they would not be ashamed or hesitant to do that because we're taught to pray with one another and for one another. Lord, if there are those who need healing today, I pray that they would come here to the middle of the altar and, and allow me as an elder of the church to anoint them with oil as a powerful symbol of God's healing mercy and power. And Cindy and I to pray over them that God would pour upon them the healing mercy of our great physician. Lord, whatever needs to happen. If there's someone here, Lord, that needs to take a step in their faith journey toward you. Help them to, to come to one of these prayer partners and say, I need to take the next step. And these folks are ready to show them how to do that. I need to take the next step. And they can do that today. We give you this time, these holy moments. Keep our minds and our hearts focused on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.